Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at btosports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. BTOsports.com, great guys. Use the code PulpMX when you check out to save yourself money. They've got OEM parts now and uh, anything you need for your bike or body, BTOsports.com has got it. And uh, we thank those guys. They've been longtime supporters of this show and it's awesome to have them on board. Use the code PulpMX, like I said, to save money. And Fox Racing, Foxhead.com. Uh, 2015 mountain bike stuff just launched, which is uh, exciting to me, I suppose. And uh, foxracing.com, foxhead.com, Ryan Dungey, Kenny Roxon, just some of the guys that wear Fox. What more can you say about those guys? This podcast is presented by them. Of course, I'm Steve Mathis, as usual. With me on the line is uh, an interesting guy, a guy who uh, has been around a long time, done a lot of things in the industry, and uh, has a lot to do with what you're riding right now if you ride blue. Uh, if you're a Blue Crew member, this guy has got his hands on it, and uh, so I thought it would be cool to talk to him, get a little bit of his story, and of course, one of those guys that when I grew up, um, you know, is one of the top mechanics in the sport, and uh, let's let's get into his story. Steve Butler, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always uh, interesting to get a guy like you behind the scenes, done so much. Maybe people don't know your name, or maybe they just heard of your name, but they don't realize all the things you've done and kind of been doing uh for a long time so um it'll be fun mm-hmm. okay. you know uh, uh the, i did i talked to rich taylor a few times and of course he worked with honda right he tested for honda for all those years and great story and a uh, great guy and uh let's see let's see what you got from working with yamaha all these years so um i'm gonna guess you were out riding today you were out no, testing. no no i was not no Oh, okay, all right. Um, Actually enjoying a uh, enjoying a company paid holiday on uh, spring day. Oh yeah, I guess so. That's true, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you are the uh, are you the the R and D director at Yamaha? Is that your title, your official title? Um, I'm actually uh, assistant department manager of the testing division. Okay, and um, I'm involved in all motorcycle, but uh, primarily off road. Mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously includes the YZ. Yeah, and. Uh, um, Working on the how far ahead are you right now? Are you testing and working on a couple of years ahead right now? Is that kind of the general cycle of things? Yeah, it varies, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, you can consider 16 is already done, right? And yeah. uh, I think, like all manufacturers, we have a pretty, a pretty good idea of what we're doing through realistically 2020 or 2018, yeah. 2020. Yeah, you know, there's uh a lot that has to happen to to make it all happen. So, mm-hmm. You know, like I said, all, all manufacturers are that far ahead. Right. One of the things I've talked to, and again, I talked to Rich Taylor about this kind of stuff. I talked to Mike Fisher about this kind of stuff. Two guys who worked, you know, for Honda and Cowie over the years, and 
There's always a battle between what the USA testers find and discover and recommend and then what the Japanese want to do to the production bike, want to put in what their riders tell them. How much of a battle is that for you to say, hey, guys, this is the spring rate we need or this is the direction we need to go and they want to go another direction? Is that, a, is that like talking to the other guys, it seems like that's a bit of a battle. Do you find that too? Um, yeah, it certainly can be. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think out of all the manufacturers, we do more testing here in the U.S. than uh, than the other manufacturers, and I think I think that shows, especially with suspension, like you mentioned, spring rates and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the U.S. market requires some some different settings compared to the rest of the world. Right. So um, yeah, suspension especially mm-hmm. is um, all developed here in the U.S. for YZ stuff. And we have a bit of a unique setting compared to other countries. Like Europe has oh, okay. yep. their own setting, and Europe and Australia is very similar, and Japan have another setting mm-hmm. for, for their uh, markets. But, um, yeah, it's a challenge, but I think the, the factory, in, in uh, my case, they um, they have some confidence in our abilities, and I think we've proven that with, mm-hmm. with uh, you know, our production bikes having some of the best suspension. Yeah, yeah. The, the you know the other the air forks are all the rage for other OEMs and uh, and different uh, swapping different components. Showa and KYB on the different models. You're right. Everyone's trying to do something different. And Yamaha has stuck with KYB and they've stuck with that SS fork for a long time and it's worked. It's 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 very good. It's a spring fork. It's hard to beat right now. Yeah, that's true. We um, you know, we're all riders and uh, we look at it in that way. And what works the best? Yeah, that's. That's uh, what we've developed, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think until until the performance of an air fork is much in he- ahead of a spring fork, then mm-hmm. you know, there's no reason to consider it in, in my mind. Right, they're, right. They're, uh, you know, they require more setup, yep. and they're kind of a hassle, especially uh, mm-hmm. guys, if I know the ride, that's the last thing you want to do is work on your fork <laughs> you jump on your bike. You know what? So, you're, um, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the, the the amount of people that we know, our buddies that don't check their tire pressure, never mind their their fork pressure. Now, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> and even when we go out and test, and we're doing that on the competitors' bikes, mm-hmm. it, it's a hassle. You need to do two <laughs> or three bikes with uh, air forks on them. You need an extra twenty minutes to do a couple of bikes. <laughs> right. Right. Um, the. Uh, Hey, by the way, uh, congratulations on uh, and you know you you have a bit of a hand in this in the, that 250F. Um, I counted a few years ago. Uh, I think it was redone in 03, my first year at, at Yamaha when I worked for Red Dog. I think it was done in 03 a little bit, uh, and then man, that thing it, it didn't change. It was out of date. I think I counted a few years ago there were two bikes out of 60 at Anaheim one that were Yamahas, um, including the support guys. Uh, two or maybe there was two extra guys other than the support guy, other than the supported teams. Short story, long story short, nobody wanted to ride that thing. Um, uh-huh. It has come out now. Uh, you guys did the uh, YZ450 conversion with the backwards motor, and it is. We saw Jeremy Martin come out. Cooper Webb is on the verge of clinching a title. Martin won the outdoor title. More and more Yamahas are filling up. Um, a, a, just a real complete 180 on that thing, and uh, talk about that a little bit, and um, just the steps you've come, and, and how great that bike is. Well, it was it was a long it was a long process, and we were very very strict with uh, its performance because we knew it had to be 
mm-hmm. guys had, had waited a long time to uh, for the new model, and we knew it had to be a very high level. Yep. And to get it to that point, it was it was a lot of work. We yep. uh, we spent. Yeah, it wasn't easy for sure. And and us, like myself and the U.S. test riders, they were very strict on its performance. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it it showed in the end that it was. Uh, you know, perhaps it performed a little better than what we expected, I think because we were so harsh on it through, <laughs> right, through right. development that we underestimated it somewhat just as a writer. Mm-hmm. Because we, uh, you know, we saw it come from a, a long way. And some of the early tests, it was very frustrating, very disappointing. And um, However, in the end, it, uh, all that hard work paid off. It was very rewarding, especially now. Is it rewarding for you? I don't know if you were at Glen Helen or, or whatever. Is it rewarding to see uh, you know these guys come out and just whoop up on everybody? Do you get a sense of pride from that? Uh, um, I mean, you're a Yamaha guy. You bleed blue, no doubt about it. But, I mean, is that is that still pretty cool for a guy like you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, truly amazing feeling to, uh, you know, to uh, really just to go to a national and watch guys ripping around that track when it's, when it's uh, all fixed up for a national, because obviously we spend some yeah, terribly some- long days there on, on a Tuesday. Right. In July, Glen Helen is not a whole lot of fun. <laughs> right. So uh, to, just to walk into that place and see guys ripping around, mm-hmm. and then to see them on a bike that we've been working on for f- four or five years, yeah, was uh, a yeah, truly amazing feeling. You know, just... Uh, yeah, just uh, and then to see it win and to be successful yeah. is... You couldn't you couldn't write a script better than that. You yeah, know, the shootout winner, they were winning at the nationals, and um, yeah, it's truly really amazing that it's something that only comes around, you know, every once in a while too with a new right. model. Yeah, the, 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 it's no doubt. It's it's just, and you know, going back to the old bike, you know, obviously you had meetings and meetings and and budgets and this kind of thing, and you're like, okay, guys, so what are we doing to the 250F? And they're like, nothing. Uh, for for so long, were you just always going? I mean, they did the new body work. I guess there was that change, but for the most part, I mean, I, I, I mean, you're, you know, you're a racer, you're a competitive guy. You probably were like, okay, well, we'll try our best with you know, sort of an outdated model, but we'll we'll work on it, right? Yeah, it was. I can understand that. You know, we were. Uh, it's not like we weren't doing anything. We were working on two strokes at that point. We had all new two strokes in um, right. Was that ninety five? So. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, we were still busy, but yeah, it was disappointing that we couldn't spread the love across the whole lineup. Yeah, and um, you know, it was it was step by step. And I think uh, actually that was one of my first projects. Was oh, uh, was it? Yeah, yeah, the YZ125 and 252 stroke. Yeah. Um, what about two strokes? Are they are they coming back ever? Are, sales, I guess, are good, right? I don't know how much you know about that or whatever, but I hear the sales are good. Uh, the bikes, they've been, you know, they, they've changed a little bit here and there. What's your thoughts on, on developing two-strokes, and where do we go from here? And Do you ever see a time when they'll be back? Yeah, that's a tough question. I think we still continue to, continue to sell mm-hmm. a decent number every year. I, I don't think that it certainly hasn't declined over the last couple of years, and I think with the revamp of, uh, of our 2015 two-strokes, mm-hmm. perhaps styles are... You know, as good or better than the last couple of years. Okay, yeah. But um, it seems like I sent a few more at the tracks just being around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, will they come back? I think it's tough because uh, there's only a couple of manufacturers offering them. Mm-hmm. And, and 
as we know, it's to race in the classes the way they laid out. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the the full strokes are still going to dominate. But as far as a fun per dollar ratio, yeah. you can't go wrong with the two stroke. Hey, and it's hard to beat a YZ250 platform too, right? I mean, I was there when, I mean, MC, it's not far off what McGrath used to win, and, and that bike was solid, man. That's a good That's a good bike. Yeah, even to this day, it truly is amazing how good and, and, and the power output of a current, a current Model 2 straight like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there was no, there's no better uh, uh, indication of how good it was than I know Suzuki for sure, maybe someone else, but Suzuki, when they redesigned their RM250, they basically copied a Yamaha motor. They just went, yeah, yeah here's the bore stroke, here's how they did it, all right, boom. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. I copied the power valve, the ball stroke, crankshaft. Yep, they're just like, yeah, it's so it's so good. It's so perfect, you know? Um, and I know, like, talking to Chad and Timmy and Villeman and these guys now, they, they they rave about that race bike, you know, and how good it was back then. So, um, hey, uh, Steve, uh, uh, the YZ450, um, I applauded Yamaha for coming out uh, in 2010 with this brand new revolutionized bike and uh, all the features on it, of course, but... You know, I talked, to, I talked a lot to the doctor, the Dubok, uh, our mutual friend, about this, and, and he's passionate, and he got very angry, and, and he was not happy. Uh, people, the indication was the bike wasn't that good. People were running away from it. The pro level, it wasn't raced um, and done that well. Of course, we had the James Stewart thing uh, where he left the team and, and blamed a lot of his problems on the bike. Uh, now in 20, you know, here we sit in 2015 and, and we, we can see how fast they are with Brayton last year and Barsha and Nicoletti and Pike is killing it. And the changes you've refined over the last year or two with the frame have seemed to made a difference. But did you, were, were you like Doug in those early years of 2010, 2011, where you were just like pretty pissed off at the general perception of that bike in the public? Yeah. Yeah. That was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because we knew where we're at with the uh, 2009 model, mm-hmm. and it was a clearly better machine than, than 2009. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, for whatever reason, I, I, I guess it started at the top. You know, there was some um, that bike was given a bad rap, yeah, and it did not deserve that by any means. You know, it, and yeah, it was that was very frustrating, right? I, I think really that bike was it was successful in every other country but the U.S. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you notice that it was it was uh, doing well everywhere else? Yeah. 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 So and you know we we knew its potential, mm-hmm. but um, you know, what what the cause of that was? I, I'm not real sure. I think uh, obviously Stewart had some issues with it. Yep. And then a lack of experience with a bike like that. That um, you know, mm-hmm. it required some some different uh, type of setting or different uh, different development than than mm-hmm. the, the previous model. Yeah, make it a race bike, and I think uh, there was some mistakes made in in developing it as a, as a race bike. Okay, yeah, like the way direction the teams were going. Some of the teams, yeah, 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 yeah and perhaps no direct no direct connection with uh, with the factory. Mm-hmm. With, um, with James's race team being separate and right, and uh, and Yamaha US racing, uh, you know, being fully involved, and Japan and and uh, you know, it'll ta- always take some time to develop a new bike right. or a race team. But on a production level, I don't think that bike was uh, 
that didn't deserve the bad rap that it got, and I think it was it was uh, underestimated, and then it never was able to recover from from that bad rap. Right. And and uh, I think even to this day, that that still hangs over YZ450 a little bit. You think so, huh? Yeah. Um, I know. Um... You know the the frame changes. I helped it a lot, according to people I talked to. Um, you guys did some things with the frame as far as material and stiffening and softening and this kind of this kind of things. Um, the uh, but I, I feel like the bike has kind of overcome that stigma a little bit, but maybe not. I don't know. I, I don't read all the magazine tests. I guess as closely as you. So yeah, I still read some things that um, you know perhaps someone else has read it. And they've got it confused with a previous model, but they mm, want to. Yeah, yeah. They want to have something to say, so they just just take what they've already read. <laughs> right, right. But um, yeah, I think it. Uh, yeah, obviously, it's a, it's a much improved bike from that 2010 version. Yeah, you know, right. It's only got better since then. And really, from 14 to 15 model, yeah, there was some refinements. Mm-hmm. However, the the success of our 15 model is much better than 14. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know even though the bike hasn't changed much, it uh, I think finally people are looking at it that you know, with more of an open mind. Perhaps now they've forgotten about some of yeah. the, uh, the bad rap that it got from the 2010 through 13 model. Mm-hmm. But um, and I think about things like some of the like the first uh, like the 2009 Honda. Yeah, yeah, you know, that uh, that deserved. A, a more of a negative reputation than it than it ever really got. Like in my mind, that was the handling of that was worse than mm-hmm. a a 2010 YZ. But yeah. the YZ was the was the bike with the black eye. So yeah, it's a little frustrating, especially when yeah. we, we we know these bikes. You know, I'm around riders that ride them. We just do a back to back comparison, right? And uh, you, know, you get to see their looks on their face or their body's language or the words they use. <laughs> right, right. And um, you can get a pretty good sense of of uh, you know, where a bike really rates in, it, in its performance compared to one to the other. Right. The uh, Yeah, the 2009 Honda, you're exactly right. We And I, I know from a, from a media standpoint, we talked about that. Like, that bike got a lot better, and even the Honda guys admit it, um, with a year under their belt and, um, you know, now it's it's not far off that platform the bike they have now, but it just took them a while, and it was the same thing. I mean, they're they're pro riders. I know for sure Millsaps and Wyndham they hated that thing Tedesco. They did not like that bike, and uh, so yeah, it, it like you said, but it didn't seem to be like the rampant paranoia of the Yamaha, right? Yeah. Um, hey, uh, on that note, talking about the the magazines a little bit, um, you know all the guys. They're your friends. You're you're one of the nicest guys around. But does it get you a little frustrated when you're reading some shootouts or some magazine tests on bikes that you know very well? And, you know, again, talking to Rich Taylor about this, he just laughed and said some of these guys were totally up to lunch. But your thoughts on that, like how frustrating is that when you read something and you're like, no, that's not right, or there's no way you could be feeling that or whatever. How, how often, how hard is it for you to bite your tongue and maybe not call that guy or, or not talk to that guy? Well, uh in generally, they're pretty solid. Are they? Okay. So, yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, they certainly have some times where I would question their comments, but mm-hmm. I think overall they do a pretty decent job. Mm-hmm. And especially when, like, obviously, I've attended a lot of these shootouts, and and um, you know the way 
the way they sometimes go about it is that's a lot to do in one or two days. Yeah. And you know, the bikes are right in the morning, you know, they're fresh, the tracks are smooth, the bikes are right in the afternoon, they're wore out. And some of the riders they use, they may not ride a whole bunch, so right. you know, they're, they're, they're shot by 11.30. But, <laughs> but, right. but in general, you know, you can kind of read between the lines and get a sense of their total evaluation. And, mm-hmm. and, but, yeah, obviously, if I if they're way off, then, yeah, that's, that's annoying because especially when I'm at these events and you get feedback from the writers, yeah, yeah, it's all good, it's great, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then you'll read something and they'll say, they'll make some, they'll point out some fault to the bike where they didn't give me a chance to make some adjustments. Yeah, you're like, hey, I'm here for you, I'll help you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all that, oh, the, the cockpit's cramped on a Yamaha. Well, we have four position adjustability of the handlebars. Yeah. That give me a chance. <laughs> right, right. That, that's probably what ticks me off the most is they'll tell me to my face, yeah. yeah, it's all good, dude. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> uh, our, our mutual friend Chris Kiefer helped me set this podcast up, and uh, he comes onto the Pulp Show every now and then. And he got Villeman out uh, to do the 450 Dirt Rider shootout. Were you out there? Did you see the Cobra ride? Yes, I did. How <laughs> yeah. was it? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, actually quite a blast in the past because I was very involved with his with uh, with him when he was Yamaha racing. Right, right. So uh, from. Yeah, I don't recall the year there. Sorry, obviously it was uh, number 934. Yeah. That year passing through 98 through 2002, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, David and I hung out a lot during uh, his ride at Yamaha. Right. I spent a lot of days at the test track with him. Yeah, yeah. and now he's back. You should have uh, Kiefer, or Chris Dennison brought his notes in. Um, for <laughs> You should have saw the things he wrote about the Husky. <laughs> Typical DV style. It's pretty, pretty comedy. So, um, yeah. Even as a even as a young racer, he was a very, very clever guy. Just uh, the way he thought about the motorcycle mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable guy to work with. I know. Uh, racer. When Red Dog got hurt, I was I was dynoing a lot for the race team, and yeah, his setup was unique and different, and no one could ride it. Uh, no one liked his power curve. No one liked the way his uh, bars and front brake were and everything else, but he loved it, you know, so. Yeah, it worked for him, obviously. Right, yeah, clearly, right? Um, hey, let's uh, let's go into the uh, time machine a little bit and go back. Um, I know you're from Australia, and I know you worked for Doug Dubok in like 80, I want to say 88 or 89 was your first year. But growing up in Australia, did you race? And did you always dream of coming to the U.S.? As, like for me, I grew up in Canada, and I, I failed as a pro racer, and so I decided I want to be a mechanic. How was your path to America? Well, yeah, like you said, I, I grew up in Australia on a dairy farm. It's um, yeah, out in a rural northern Victoria. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was always around motorcycles, loved motorcycles. And I uh, raced motorcycles, like mini bikes, mm-hmm. you know, 80 class through to, uh, yeah, actually, I, like, I traveled the, the Nationals races for a few years. But um, This would have been yeah, like Jeff, 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 Jeff Lee's Craig Dack days, right? Around there? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 I actually was fairly successful as a mini bike rider. Oh, okay. And I, I raced some of the support classes to like Jeff Leesk and uh, Craig Dack, that would be riding the 250 class. Yep. I rode the 125 class, and, um, 
Yeah, I I made the gate, but that was you know just right. filling the spot on the gate basically. Mm-hmm. But um, so that was that was uh, perhaps eighty two through eighty six. I think I was trying to race, right. racing, and then and actually I left high school at a young age, and I began an apprenticeship with a motorcycle shop in my hometown. I'm on the shop, and that that apprenticeship. I was working full-time, but I went to a trade school for two weeks every two months for okay. four years. All right. Yeah, for four years while working at this motorcycle shop. And I was racing motocross amongst that. And then huh. I think it was uh, the end of, yeah, around 1987 was when actually Jeff Leesk was racing here in the U.S. Right. And I had a couple of good friends that were over here, that guys that I used to race with in Australia were over here. Yeah. And, um, yeah, obviously we, we followed U.S. motocross and New Southern California is the, you know, the epicenter of the, right. the motocross in the world. So I always had a dream to come and check this place out. And with my two friends being here, Ian and Dave, I uh, made the trip in November of 1987. Okay, yeah. And and my plan was I took six months off of my job at the mm-hmm. motorcycle shop, mm-hmm. and I was going to go walk about <laughs> for six months yeah. and uh, check out the motocross scene here in the SoCal area. Right. So I think that was November, and then perhaps it was December, I met Doug Dubach. Okay. <laughs> and uh, at Ritchie Canyon. Oh, you were just riding? You were just out riding, yeah. and he was out there? Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, and that between a few friends and whatnot, and I remember having a meeting at a Carl's Jr. with Duwak after we'd been riding. <laughs> and uh, he obviously knew I could work on bikes. And he said, you going to work on my bikes? <laughs> really, huh? Yeah, yeah, so that's basically where I started. And I thought, well, I planned a six-month holiday. Yeah. And I, you know, he said, well, if you're going to do it, it needs to be a year. Yeah. And I thought, well, what a great working vacation. I get to go all over the United States to right. every major race. So he he was a support rider, or he wasn't a factory guy then, right? He was just a support. He was, he was uh, maybe he had a, a little bit of factory support, but basically yeah. a privateer with some spare parts. And he, yeah, bikes. number 16, maybe? Yeah. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's how you got it. I mean, Dubox number 16, he's like a great rider, and you meet him at Ritchie Canyon, you become his mechanic? <laughs> that seems like so bizarre. That's <laughs> just yeah. really weird. Yes, I think it was the '87 season. My friend Dave, that was already here, Dave Hammond. Uh huh. He he helped out a little bit. So I had some connection with that. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, obviously Doug was doing it as a privateer, so he really couldn't afford to pay me. Actually, I think I still joke about this today that it actually cost me money to work with him. <laughs> yeah, really, right? But it was a, just an amazing experience. I ended up going all over the world with Doug that year. He paid you in Miguel's Miguel Junior burritos. Yeah, basically, and <laughs> you know, not to mention going to every national motocross and supercross. Wow! Yeah, yeah. and driving to them. Right, right, yeah. So I think at that point I was. So you just told your mom and dad, I guess. Hey, hey, mom and dad, I'm staying for a little bit longer. It looks like. Yeah, then yeah, obviously my six month walkabout was right ended the one year. Yeah, and um, I think I was 21. Yeah, when you yeah 21 years old. Oh wow. And, um, yeah, that year went by very quickly. And then Doug became a factory supporter, right? He got a box fan the following year with some mechanic budget. And yeah. 
say, yeah, I couldn't pass out the opportunity to do it again. Right. And and in 88, I mean, he was top five nationals a lot of times. He was good. Yeah. Yeah, he was very successful. Right, year. right. So, good, yeah, good job by you. You know, you guys were a good team. And, um, but it was a lot of work. You know, it's, you know we had... We had, uh, you know, just one or two sets of wheels, you know. We didn't have the mm-hmm. two-piece clutch cover. I had to drain the water <laughs> yeah, and the right. oil to get the whole clutch cover off. It didn't have an outer cover. Yeah, yeah, that's you right. Know? And, and, and you know, he was a clutch-burning clutch burning machine. <laughs> and after every motor, I had to have to yeah. pull the whole clutch side off. Yeah. You know, we didn't yeah. have split covers back then. I'm actually building an 88YZ250 right now. and. Right. I I just got the frame powder coated and working on it and starting to put it together a little bit, and that was one of the first things I noticed. I'm like, no, no clutch cover. Like, come on, this is '88 Yamaha. Pull it together here. Like, there's no subframe either. No removable subframe either. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very cool. I buy quite well now. Yeah, '88 YT250. Right. Like, I'm like, come on, Yamaha. Honda already had this. Cowie has this already. <laughs> um, so yeah, so in '89. Uh, number seven, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I, no, actually, actually, I think we're a little bit off. I think no. He was eighty nine. It was sixteen and eighty eighty nine. Yeah, that's it. He was, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was twenty one. Number twenty one in eighty eight. Right. Sixteen in eighty nine, and then seven in nineteen ninety. That's crazy. That's crazy that you stepped into this job. And I mean, obviously, you're a great mechanic, and you did a good job. But think about, you know, nowadays, if you just step, you can't just step into a rider like that and, and, and you meet some guy at Richie Canyon and your buddy sort of recommends it. it very, uh, very fortunate and, and good yeah. job. Yeah. And good job by you to, to hold it together, right? Yeah, it was a lot of work and, and a, a huge commitment. And, and right. probably no, not too many people could, could have done that in the sense of yeah. all I have is what was in a bag and I drove around in a car in a, in a stretch van. Yeah. Yeah. With everything that I had, I didn't have a car payment, no house payment, and I had no mail. No, there's no way you could afford to do something like that with with other commitments. Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, I, d- you know, I was on I was on duty. You know, mm-hmm. twenty four hours a day. And, and this is the days of uh, you got to wash the van, you got to get groceries, you got to fix the van. You, never mind all the dirt bike work. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, I did that, too, then, for a couple of years, man. I lived in a box van, and I had no address, and I slept on floors and, you know, lived in a box van. And just the, and, and I think about it, and I'm like, a lot of, a lot of people would be like, You're, this is no life. You have no life. You can't do that. <laughs> right. That was awesome. I was 21 years old. You know? Right, was, yeah. Uh, trying to drive around America, too. Like, you got these maps. And you're trying to figure out these states. And <laughs> driving on the wrong side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, perhaps uh, yeah, over fifty thousand miles, maybe maybe seventy thousand miles a year we would drive. Mm-hmm. So, in ninety, Doug becomes full factory. Ninety one. Yeah, that's right. Uh, ninety, yeah, nineteen ninety, a full factory box van. And and Yamaha yeah. takes you on like no problem, no no worries. You guys are a good team, so it's all good to get hired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So actually, I think I was still. I think Doug Doug paid me still at that point. Mm-hmm. Where Yamaha paid him a, a certain amount for mechanic, and he paid me because I was officially hired by Yamaha as a contracted mechanic in at the end of 1990 when they hired Emig. Okay, yeah. So uh, Emig in '91, you start working for Emig in '91. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so at the end of the 1990 season, Emmy came on board. So you weren't you weren't there for Doug's Supercross win. I mean, you were there, but you weren't working for him. Which, That's right. Yeah, Randy Lawrence was mechanic at that point. Yeah. Which I mean, you saw we were still so happy for him. You, you oh know. yeah, 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 yeah. That was an awesome event. Yeah. And you and Fro hit it off pretty good. What What's your initial impressions? I mean, he was a team green kid. I uh, rode Cowies one year, then Yamaha picked him up. What were your initial impressions of a young Jeff Emig? Um, well, that's uh, quite honored because it was his dad, Gary, that recommended I work on his bike. Oh, okay. I never knew, I never knew Gary. He must have just observed what, what mm-hmm. I'd been doing for Doug or the team. Right. So, um, yeah, that was that was a, an honor to be chosen to work on. You know, Jeff was, yeah, he came to Yamaha with, yeah, he was the guy, you know? Right, yeah. He was an up-and-coming up kid. Yeah. So, um you know, at that point, maybe I was, what, I was maybe 24, and he was 18 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we had a great relationship. Yeah. So, um, and then, uh, obviously, in 90, was it 92 you won the 125 title? I think 92. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, 1991, he was number 18. Yeah. And then 92, was he number 6. And winning that outdoor title, I mean, and also, too, uh, you know, obviously from my time at Yamaha, Bob Oliver has told me stories. How That bike was not fast. That was not a very good bike. And you guys did a lot of work to that thing. And I remember being a kid watching it at Millville, and it sounded like no other bike out there. Um, you guys had a lot of work to do with jetting that thing and, and making it run, huh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was... Yeah, in the production form, it was uh, yeah, less than less than ideal mm-hmm. as a race bike. Right. But uh, and, and actually, all of the parts we used were just production parts from various models and years, and um, it was just pieced together with parts that we tested that we made work. <laughs> yeah, like didn't yeah. It, didn't it have like a Suzuki ignition or something, or wasn't it something weird like that? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It had, Bob Oliver had uh, modified the whole backing plate, and we used the RM125 flywheel rotor because uh, John R had John R was a bit of electronics wizard, and yeah, and he, we had discovered that that the uh, spark plug voltage was much higher on an RM125 ignition system. <laughs> that, and, um, that is so John R. That yeah, is so yeah, John so R. <laughs> It was just a lot of input from some very clever guys between uh, Keith and mm-hmm. Bob and John R and myself. It was uh, it, it was quite a project to put that machine together, and it ran very, very well. Yeah, it was. I remember, like I said, it sounded like no, no other bike on the track. I remember my dad and I being like, "Listen to that thing! <laughs> like, 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 it's gnarly." Um, you may have heard this story before. How um, to, to get that bike to carburetor correctly was. Uh, we ended up, maybe Jeff Emmick told this story about it. We called it a monojet carburetor that we had developed. <laughs> so we uh, we actually soldered up the, the pilot jet. Oh, really? We, yeah, so it didn't have a pilot jet. We actually, we had, I think the smallest pilot jet we had was a 17.5 or a 15 size pilot jet. Okay. It still seemed a little rich. So <laughs> right. we blocked the pilot jet off and it actually ran quite well. <laughs> no, I don't think real- I don't think I heard. And then it was a little. It was a little bit lean. Then at half throttle. Right. So we ended up. Um, we used to uh, rub on the needle with the with the oils with a stone. 
put a flat spot on the needle <laughs> right in the spot where it was too lean. Yeah, in the middle. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> actually perfected a way to put this flat spot on the needle and measure it with a micrometer and custom-tuned these needles to work in this carburetor that didn't have a pilot jet. Holy crap. Wow. And then, yeah, someone, either Emig or Bob or somebody would say that the, you would have, you yourself, you'd have to go find a field in the morning and the afternoon and go jet this thing, like, every day, every national. Like, because it was so finicky that way. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a true story. We, it was a tradition we had, and I think it's, it, we did it once, and Jeff had a very successful weekend. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was good in the sense, too, that it, it, it forced Jeff to go to sleep early on a Friday night, <laughs> made him get up early on a Saturday and have something to do on a Saturday. Yeah, because we didn't remember, remember, everybody doesn't probably realize we had practice on Friday and then we hung out all day Saturday. That's right. And, and uh, so it kept him out of trouble in a sense, and it also allowed us to tune the bike and, and shake it down and... We also got to meet some meet and visit some unbelievable backyard tracks and just little places and peaceful when I'd get to town that would be one of the things I would try and scope out of where can we ride on a Saturday? Right, right. And then there'd be guys, Oh yeah, come to my track and some of them were you know, just what you'd expect, a backyard track, but then some places went to were incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and then hey that, that ninety two season, I mean I I don't have the number in front of me, but LaRocco was 40 points ahead or something. Um, and his shifter falls off. His carburetor falls off. Jeff catches fire. Uh, that The end of that season must have been pretty remarkable for you uh, in terms of high emotions. Yeah, it seemed like it was, uh, yeah, it was out of reach. And then suddenly... <laughs> Yeah, not by any just just bad luck. I think the shifter was they were both crash incidents. It mm-hmm. wasn't a. I think a lot of people pointed the finger at his dad, but right. But it wasn't a mechanical failure. It was crashes and whatnot. And then suddenly, we had a chance. So um, it was probably better that way. It didn't put a whole lot of pressure on us until the final race. Right. And um, then, of course, it rained. <laughs> and there was standing water on the track, and yeah, and, you know we're changing air boxes and trying to waterproof the bike. And, yeah, it could have went sideways at any time during that <laughs> right. last moto. Right. And um, so busy that you didn't even get a chance to really think about it. But it could have, it could have, it could have went bad so easily that day. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, remarkable. What was that like, winning a 125 national championship as a mechanic? Hey, let's face it, uh, three years ago, you were just arrived in the country. Or three or four years ago, and uh, now you're now you're you know you're wrenching for a, a factory team, and you just won a 125 national title. That must have been amazing. Mm, yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I would have been. I would have. You know, you're not. You you don't brag enough about that. If if it was me, so. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I need to think about the next year. Things didn't go so well, so that kind of right. Yeah, you know, maybe quickly forget about. Uh, um, before. Hey, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Race tech people, racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension and everyday racer. 
There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with race tech. Trust me on this. There's a more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you, eh, probably. 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for race tech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore. Some of the guys just using uh, Race Tech Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Race Tech High Performance Springs. These springs are called High Performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10% at uh, Race Tech? Go to Pulp MX 2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast. And we thank you guys. All right. Back to the show. I want to ask you a little bit. Uh, this is, more, you know, Damon Bradshaw, one of my favorite riders ever growing up. And you're there. You know, we had the 92 kind of nine wins on the season, but he doesn't win the the Supercross title. And, and he told he's told me a few times the only guy he ever liked was Dubak. He hated Emig. He hated everybody else, you know, that kind of stuff. I know, and I know his mechanic, Brian Lunas, sometimes was a was a, a different guy and, and not always the friendliest guy Um you know, he oftentimes took the sides of his riders, this and that. What was the atmosphere like with Bradshaw? Well, how did you get along with him? I'm obviously, as we'll find out later, you worked for him a little bit. But how was that with Bradshaw and, you know, just his sort of vortex of you being on the same team as you guys? Yeah, from what I recall, I, I never had any issues with, with Dame. Actually, I was, uh, feel like I got along with everyone on the team and never had any problems. With mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, I was focused on Jeff. Yep. And uh, I didn't care for Brian so much at that point. Right. So, um, yeah, I think we, in that point, we were driving box then. So yeah, you were separate, yeah. So we were, so we were separate, and you know, they kind of had their deal going on, and, mm-hmm. and we were different classes and different bikes. So, right. Yeah, you know, I didn't really care to hang around with them guys anyway because I was into Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think even, I didn't even recall Damon if he ever had an issue with me. Obviously, right. he didn't because. We ended up working together uh, when he made a return to racing. Yeah. But I know things were very tense between him and, and Brian. And, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I mean, just, yeah, he just, he sort of thrived on that kind of stuff too a little bit. It's what made him tick, you know what I mean? Not liking anybody. That's kind of what made that chip on his shoulder a little bit, I think. So, um, you, uh, you worked for Fro 93, 94, 95, uh, all at Yamaha. Those were the days he moved up to 250 Supercross. Those are the days he would hole shot, and he would kind of fade backwards. Um, he he's told the story himself, like he would block guys, and and uh, there was also some pushing on the track, and he kicked Larocco in the ribs once. And I, what what do you remember about working for Emega in those days? Was it eventful always? Yeah, you know he was always uh, giving it his best, and and mm-hmm. uh, he. Yeah, he wasn't going to give it up to just anyone. Right. So, yeah, you, you had to applaud him for his efforts. But it was frustrating that every time McGrath would win, you know? Right, right. And the same guy every time. So we're going out there to get second then. Yeah. And, uh, and it just always seemed like it was just so easy for Jeremy. Mm-hmm. And, and 
yeah, obviously he had to beat before the gate even dropped because he'd done it so much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was frustrating just to to know. No matter what. Yeah, yeah. probably going to get second again tonight, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, there's also that story Bob told me too, like in 90, and you and your current job, uh, you, you know, this is probably right up your alley. Like those 94 YZs, I think the year that Chicken wrote them, they only wrote them once, I think it was 94. There was Brooks and Larry Ward and Chicken and and Emig and probably Dubok here and there. He was, you know, winding it down. But the whole shot those bikes would get. The, 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 and Bob told me the relationship between the swing arm pivot and the chain and the rear wheel. And it was just all this sort of perfect storm of bikes that could just whole shot. They just were great. They're tractable and they didn't wheelie and they just went shot off the line. Yeah, that's right. I recall that model. I think it was perhaps in 96 that the frame changed. Yeah. Yeah, I believe Bob was uh, right in saying it was the layout of the chassis, swing arm, engine, sprocket position. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, that bike, those guys can just just uh, open the slow, dump the clutch, mm-hmm. and the bike would go forward. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hesitate. It would just go straight forward. And I think that the following, the models that followed that, mm-hmm. we, uh, we never could get that character. And I think... You know, the newer bikes were better in the corners. That bike that would get the starts was, uh, yeah. was tough to go in corners. So right. It was a balance. Um, you look at magazine photos, and it's all Yamahas, almost every start, you know, uh, between all the factory and the, the support teams. It's it's phenomenal. So um, uh, so you're working there at Yamaha, and, uh, hey, I want to talk a little bit about John R. Uh, definitely one of the more underrated guys over the years. He's done it so much starting in the 70s, and, then he was Yamaha, Brock Glover's mechanic for a long time, and then a suspension guy. A really smart guy, huh? Like, not not enough people talk about John R. Yeah, yeah, he was, I feel so fortunate to be around him. I learned an unbelievable amount of knowledge from that guy. Yeah. And uh, he was so modest and yep. un- underestimated his abilities. And But, no, but, but truly a very, very clever guy. And his commitment to racing was, yeah, unbelievable, and, and yeah, he he'd been there and done it all, right? And uh, so many experiences to draw from. So, yeah, I, I I looked up to that guy. I still do, but yeah, I learned an enormous amount from John. R. I I was there only for a year, and before he retired, and I learned a ton too. And like you said, no ego, no very just yeah. Hey, let me show you, kid, or let me tell you. You know what I mean? Just I yeah. I felt like the guy was just the nicest guy and. And really smart. Yeah, and truly entertaining, too. He was a very unique character. <laughs> yeah, he was. And uh, also, too, Bob Oliver, who's still there. And uh, I learned again. I learned a ton from him. Uh, Bob, old-time mechanic, started in Yamaha, I think, 1980. And uh, Bob was one of those guys, like, he never overthought it, huh? He, he, was, uh, very, um, he was very smart, but he also had a bit of backyard, like, ingenuity, and still does to this day where, you know, he, he doesn't, take it too seriously and doesn't overthink it and and yet i don't know i just i admire bob too another guy that's been there for a long time it's super smart yeah yeah very very clever just uh we we i can recall having some some issue or some some problem mm-hmm. and uh the way he would he would come up with the parts or he would machine something to, to rectify that issue like wow <laughs> yeah just like you said he's uh 
his ability to think outside the box. Yeah, very, very clever guy. Yeah, there was some. We had issues and problems or something, and he'd be like, "Here, no, do this," and you're like. That's brilliant, Bob. Why did I think of that? You know, or yeah. whatever. Right. Uh, and and guys that just really helped win a lot of races for Yamaha, including yourself over the years. So, um, so Fro goes to Cowie in '96. Does, does, does he ask? Does he ask if you can go with him? Do, do you want to go with him, or how'd that go? Um, down? There was some, there was some talk and yeah. some consideration. Um, but, I think I may even had an offer for, from Cowie to to, to stay, but. Yeah. Um, or to go over there, but no, I was very comfortable with Yamaha. I love the guys I work with, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, a heck of a team with Keith, Bob, and Donna. You know, right? I felt like yeah, I felt like yeah, that's where I wanted to stay. Right. Yeah. And did you uh, did you get it? Like, obviously, are you you and Jeff still friends? Everything's good. Like, you, you guys look back on that time fondly. I know he's told me um, in different times. Like, he just thought the world of you, and you were almost like his. You were not that much older than him, but he said a few times that you were like his second dad, where you would, you know, kind of have to like give him advice and stuff. Uh, so you you must look back on those years. One national title, lots of wins, pretty fondly, huh? Yeah, yes. I don't really see him as much as I'd like to. Obviously, every once in a while, and then yeah. of course on the TV every week. But right, yeah. Thinking back then, like I think I helped him. Mm-hmm. You know, as uh, perhaps like you said, like a bigger brother or someone a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And then, in a sense, he helped me because I really wasn't any older, that much older than him. Right. But I had to behave to set a good example, so <laughs> that kept, kept me out of trouble. Right. And then, um, yeah, and then we were both close enough to the same age where we were into the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I can recall when I first met him, you know, he would struggle to even communicate. You know, I right. used to, uh, you know, what's wrong, Jeff? Are you cold? You know, but... Yeah. He was really just stuttering. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, some time before, you know, especially to see him now, but it was a little while before he warmed up enough to me to where he was comfortable to explain things or talk. Or, and quite often when he came straight off the track, he could speak a little uh, more smoothly. Mm, yeah. And if, uh, you know, if you're one-to-one or... But, um, yeah, obviously he's, he's overcome that. But no, I used to really enjoy hanging out with him. He would come... He would fly into the races in the weekend, he, and then we'd hang out in the box then. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like every week he would bring a new CD. Oh, yeah. And, you know, at that point, I think I still had cassette put tape. So, <laughs> right, um, right. And uh, they're always long-haired rock bands, and he'd play the same CD the whole weekend, and then the next weekend it'd be some other band. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, we had a great time hanging out and driving around. Yeah. Air, air guitar in the front of the box then, and... I can remember him putting a T-shirt, like put the head hole of the T-shirt over the top of his head and then fling the rest of the back of the T-shirt over the, his back as if it was real long hair. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'd be playing the air guitar, driving the box fan around, listening to some rock music, and he was, uh, he was a full-fledged Poison member or something at that point. <laughs> You're like, mate, let's put some in excess in. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, and so, uh, okay, so 96 comes, you're still at Yamaha, and Bradshaw had retired two years earlier, and uh, so, what was, where were you, what were you doing when they said, hey, Steve, get the 114 ready, Bradshaw's back, what, do, what were you doing, what do you remember about that? Um, well, I think Bradshaw was a 114, he made a couple of races returned in 95, and then 
He, oh, that's right. He did. Yeah. yeah he, made, he made a plan to come back full time in '96 at 28. That's right. I, I'm, I forgot. Yeah. So yeah, you worked for him after he'd already come back a little bit, right? Yeah. So I knew that you know Jeff was going to Cowie, and uh-huh. I wanted to stay Emmy, and then uh, you know the Bradshaw opportunity was there for uh, that '96 season. Yeah. And I remember he started off with like a, he went like four two at the first two races or something. He was second in the points. It was looking pretty good. Yeah, actually, I don't recall too much of that year. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, a few injuries and uh, yeah, got a few good races, but yeah. perhaps Presto was below uh, you know, somewhat expectation at that point. The magic, the magic, yeah, had, wasn't there. He was good, but he wasn't the old Damon Bradshaw, you know? Yeah, I think, it seemed like the only, it's probably a bad memory, but I remember being at a Supercross in Denver, Colorado with him, mm-hmm. and he crashed in practice pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And they broke the steering stop off the triple clamp. Jeez. And, and I didn't know this, but it also damaged the uh, the CDI box. Oh, the black box, yeah, right from the force. Yeah, so, and I recall uh, yeah, we changed the clamps and sent it back out next practice, and the bike bogged and he crashed again. And I think he was never the same after that. Right, right. Yeah, I always felt it always felt bad that we didn't catch that. Yep. Uh, that damage. Right, right. Crash, you know? Right. Um. Speaking of, of, of being a mechanic, and obviously, you know, you had a lot of wins and a lot of, uh, you know, national title and all that, but is there is there one DNF that you remember that was crushing to you that, you, you know, you maybe you made a mistake or you look back and I, I know I've got, uh, I've got one that wasn't really my fault, but it's, it's kind of, you know, it's all your fault when you're a mechanic, but uh, Ferry's ignition let go, you know, with maybe two laps to go. He was third at Southwick and... He was really battling a knee injury, and it would have been a great confidence booster for him. And and then the the ignition goes out, and just one of those things. But do you have a race that you would remember like that, or is it Bradshaw, the Bradshaw one, or was there something else? Um, yeah, it seems like I, you know, I beat myself up so bad about any time we did have a failure that, mm-hmm. yeah, that quite often that's the only things I remember. Right, but, right, um, yeah, but yeah, perhaps. That's one of the worst ones was uh the year that they had one moto at Glen Helen. Yeah. An outdoor race. Mm-hmm. Maybe you recall it. There was only one moto. Ninety four point. Yeah, ninety four, I think. Ninety four. Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, long story short was I think the weekend before Jeff landed from a jump and the particular clay at that track blocked all of the vents for the carburetor overflow. Uh huh. And the the bike didn't run properly for the rest of that motor. Yeah. So um, I had this bright idea of rerouting the overflow hoses from the carburetor. Mm-hmm. The next weekend was that one one motor format at Glen Helen. Yeah. Super hot, like over 100 degrees. Yep. And for some reason, well, because of the rerouting of the overflow hoses, when Jeff was uh, leaned back on the bike, accelerating through these, uh, like a roller section or... Mm-hmm kind of a whoop section that ended up the angle of the bike and the way I had the vent tubes coming out, instead of pointing straight down where they could get uh, blocked with the mud that we experienced at the National before, right. I had them coming out on a slight angle so they weren't going straight down. So anyway, in this particular position of accelerating through this whoop section, that was enough to where the the fuel wasn't escaping out of those overflow hoses and it caused the bike to, to cut out or splutter. Yeah. And Jeff thought there was something wrong, so then he didn't want to hit the jumps. 
but I only done it in this in this loop section. Right, it's one spot, right? And the bike actually stopped at one point, and he kicked it, and away it went on another lap. So he just kept riding it. But anyway, <laughs> it ruined his race. He still finished, but it was double points. Yeah, and it was just one of them things that. Uh, yeah. You yeah, right. At the time, I had no idea what it was. I think we went back to the track the Monday to figure it out. Right. And when you realize, oh, what a bonehead. <laughs> right, right. Uh, hey, when you uh, the lights went out in Vegas and, and Emig wins his first 250 Supercross main event, are you happy? Is it weird? What do you remember about that night? Uh, it was weird, but he was, yeah, he elected to ride. Right. And, and um, yeah, obviously won. So, yeah, I think the you know, thing about now, yeah, he won. It was his first race, so it was pretty exciting. But, yeah, maybe a little tainted because uh, yeah. the grass wasn't there. How dark was it? How how bad was it, did you think? Or do you remember? Um, I don't know. It's probably no worse than riding at Star West on a you know, Wednesday night or something. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, yeah, obviously much darker than any any supercross that you ever mm-hmm. in somewhere like Oklahoma City, I remember that was an outdoor event. What was a little bit sketchy, but yeah, yeah. Even Vegas was probably clearly the worst supercross in the U.S. that I've been to. But um, uh, I've seen tracks that are similarly lighted, you know. Right. Ninety-seven. You worked for Yogi, and I always thought like he was just kind of coming onto his own. Probably if he had stayed at Yamaha, he's only there for one year, and he went to Honda, and he you know won a lot of races on on a red bike, but. Um, he won a couple of supercrosses that year. I think he won a couple of nationals. Uh, what do you remember about working for Yogi? Yeah, he was he was an interesting guy too. Very uh, very determined and very strong willed. Mm-hmm. And you know, I always I always heard people say, "Oh, he's so shy." So he tried to be. He wasn't shy at all. He was just quiet. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, actually, him and I got along very well. He. Um, if I recall, he didn't like staying in hotels out here, and he even would come and stay at my house with me. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and, um, yeah, he was just, yeah, all-around really cool guy. Quiet, but if you, you know, got to know him or, you know, let him let him talk or, yeah, he was, he was a very clever guy. Yeah. And very determined on the track. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that when he came, remember when he came back to Mach, when he was on Mach 1 and he came back to Yamaha? Um he would stack it up at the Supercross test track and just get up and go just as fast as ever. Very determined, like not scared, you know. Um, he, he loved the bike. I remember the test coming from Suzuki. Yeah. The uh, yeah, the YZ was, uh, especially the engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so rewarding when, when the rider loves the bike, you know, as a mechanic. Yeah. Know, good. Right, yeah. The two ninety seven. you're working for Yogi. Um Henry's on the team, Dowd's on the team, Wyndham's on the team. Like great guys and a great team. Lots of fun. Yeah, they, they, they were good times with uh, Ali. I believe that was yeah, it was Ali and uh, Muffin, Steinbrecher, yeah, and um, yeah, a very powerful team too. And then the the uh, four stroke mm-hmm. towards the end of that season with Henry. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot going on. Yeah, unbelievable times at Yamaha then with uh, a big team. But a very very strong team. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Back to you know back to Honda in the mid '80s. You know that's kind of powerhouse it was. It was then and Wyndham was winning two of these Supercrosses. That was a 125 guy and Dow did it. You know and back then and the four stroke thing. 
When, where were you when you first saw the four stroke or first saw it ridden or, or knew about it or when, where, where, what, what were you doing? Yeah, well, certainly the same as anyone. You know, I think uh, Keith uh, you know, brought it to our attention that we'd be racing a, the four stroke at some point in this season. And mm-hmm. You're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, a four stroke? What? Yeah. So, yeah, that's first thought is obviously very, very negative because we didn't, you know, your yeah. image of a four-stroke is... Yeah. But then when, once we, we saw the machine start looking at specifications and and then to get to see the machine running and, and uh, yeah, truly amazing time to be involved. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I don't think any other rider could have done what Doug did with that bike, just being, he's so patient. Oh, okay. Yeah. The develop the development of that was in no one knew anything about what that bike needed or right or, uh, you know or carburetor uh, issues on a supercross track or whatever you know yeah and just you know, the way you would set the suspension up and you know, not to mention the carburetor I think of a bike with electric start at some point and you know batteries and mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys are like what every day there was a you know some learning you know there was a challenge with every point of the bike yeah and um not too many guys could withstand the, the development like doug did you know be early morning to the last thing at night just mm-hmm. one thing after another and uh, yeah doug was into it you know, he was a technically inclined and right and, uh yeah a lot of guys you just couldn't put a guy through that type of yeah long day and then and um but yeah i guess at that point it was just really, truly the engine character that was the main difference. The rest of the bike wasn't, perhaps wasn't that good for a long time. Right. Just had to develop the suspension and what it needed. And, and uh, the bike was super lightweight, and that was its main focus. Mm-hmm. Super lightweight with four-stroke engine power, but every other aspect of it was, yeah, still a long way behind in, right. in, uh, in development for a racing condition, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was ballsy of Yamaha to do that. You know, to put it out like that, and yeah, wind yeah the engine was so compact and small that it would overheat so easily because it just didn't have enough engine mass to to uh, distribute the heat, but right. soak up the heat, and right, and um, yeah, that was some stuff that we weren't used to. You couldn't let the bike idle for very long; it would pump out water. <laughs> if it kicked back, it would damage something. Electric start, and we'd have to push start it. Yeah, yeah, it was so. Um, yeah, I think all of us were involved with it because it took, took uh, even though I was working on Yogi's bike, right? Uh, we would jump in and help wherever we could. But you know, it was, I have uh, a lot of fond memories of that, and and um, yeah, it's really amazing to see the success Doug had with it throughout the rest of that year. And now, you know, we're sixteen, seventeen years later, and look at the four strokes now. Uh, EFI and engines are backwards, and you know. Uh, Air forks and whatever else, you know, it's just a t- dramatic change, massive change. Yeah, yeah, and it continues to evolve every year. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, at that point, the uh, you know the motorcycle, the motocross riders of the industry, they went, well, they went asking for a four stroke. They didn't know what. They no, wanted. yeah, yeah. And Yamaha gave them something they didn't know they wanted, and um, <laughs> that may, yeah, you know, that may never happen again. In, in the history of motocross, like, uh, it changed that dramatic, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and uh, uh, yeah, it caught everybody by surprise. You're absolutely right. And it was, and then I I was now a mechanic at that point, and people were like, "That thing's garbage." You know, like that's a that's not gonna that's never gonna win. You know what I mean? Blah blah blah. That that bike's never. You know, it's like, wait a minute, whoa! Not only did it won the Supercross in '97, it uh, won the national title the year the year after. You know. That's right. Yeah, with the production bike the year after. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so after Yogi '97, you you kind of became a crew chief on the team. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I uh, think my official title was uh, team supervisor. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, it's <laughs> a kind of liaison between Chaparral Yamaha with McGrath and and uh, Yamaha US. Did you miss holding a board and kind of getting a bond with the rider, or was it time, or did you? What did you think about that move? No, yeah, it was a great opportunity. I, I, I kind of think about my whole career at Yamaha. I've, you know, just when things begin to get a bit repetitious, mm-hmm. uh, an opportunity to change, change, change. And, uh, yeah, that was a great stepping stone. Right. Because at, you know, at that point, we still had, uh, we had internal Yamaha races. Yeah. Uh, Wyndham and Dowd, and then McGrath. And um, yeah, so really, I was involved with all of those guys. Right. But no, it, it was a great move for me. Yeah. Um, did it get Did it get politically a little dicey at times? You got the chaparral, you know, McGrath riding a. This was this is this is common now, but back then it was not. Uh, this is a full factory Yamaha bike. McGrath's winning on, titles on it. It's a chaparral team, though, but the bike's going to the, to the Yamaha shop during the week with Randy Lawrence. Or, or, yeah, I think Randy was there. Um, but then, you know, different chaparral's got ideas and sponsors that they want to try and things that they want to try on the bike, and you're sort of the Yamaha liaison. Do you remember it being a bit of a, politically, a bit of a, of a, a dicey situation at times? Uh, yeah, there certainly was some issues, I recall. Yeah. But, um, you know, my job was the, the bike, mm-hmm. and... You know, I didn't really let anything happen to that bike that uh, that, that Yamaha didn't agree with. Right. There were certainly some other sponsors and you know, things that were not in my department. Right, right. But no, as far as the bike went, I had a very good relationship with Randy. You know, he, he'd been Doug's mechanic for years at Yamaha. Tim and I drove box fans all around the country for right. years. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we were best of friends already. Okay. So, Oh, no, it was it was pretty easy, really, and I knew Jeremy obviously pretty well from yep. trying to beat him with Henry <laughs> for I don't know how many years. Right. So uh, no, for me, it was yeah, it was uh, I have very fond memories of all of that. Right. Yeah. Another an, an, another rewarding experience too to 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 see Yamaha do this to give their works bike out and to you know, to a guy to a support team and see them win. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to be successful at it. So, yeah, it was. A, a win-win situation all the way around. Uh, what year did you become manager? Were you just one year, or was it a couple of years where you were team manager? Um, I'm not sure if I've ever officially given team manager <laughs> internally. Okay, all right. I think I, I carried that uh, team supervisor title internally. Okay. But externally, um, maybe it was 99. Then it seemed like Keith uh, stepped back. Yeah. Motocross to take on more responsibility with road racing, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, obviously I worked closely with John R. and Bob, but um, right, yeah, you know, since that's ninety nine, two thousand, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was 
pretty pretty much up to my neck and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing in Villaman, bringing in uh, Red Dog, uh, Jimmy Button for one year before he got hurt. Uh, well, year and right. a year and a bit. Um, so the so for me, I was just really focused on you know, the technical side. The bikes was my responsibility, and that's what I knew. Yep, yep. So, um, and that's what yeah. I guess I was had a lot of experience in that area, but yeah, a lot of other things to learn. Right. Uh, you know to to um. Well, yeah, you know, always be chasing riders, and you know, I can remember calling Ricky Carmichael just to see what he was up to. You know, would he be interested in riding a Yamaha? Yeah, like stuff like that was uh, all new to me. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And dealing with this 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 erratic Frenchman that would yell and scream, <laughs> fill him. Yeah, actually, I got a, I got along great with him. Perhaps yeah, being a, being a foreigner myself, I could relate to him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, definitely a very. Uh, yeah, very strong, strong opinion and, and uh, yeah. very yeah, very headstrong, but, but um, the, yeah, very clever. He was obviously here to race motorcycles, and that was his only focus. Yeah. And yeah, his dad was obviously very, very serious. Yeah. But uh, no, I enjoyed my time with, with David. The story I heard was the four-stroke ride was open, and literally you, ha- you and Keith and everybody – you had Mike Brown come in in the morning to the test track, and you had Jimmy Button come in the afternoon or whatever, vice versa, and whoever was fastest on that day got the ride. Is that true? Um, I actually think maybe even Larry Ward may have wrote it. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah, Big Bird, too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a matter of finding a guy that was into it. You know, if mm-hmm. they didn't want to ride it, it, was, it wasn't worth pressuring Right, right. Because it required, it obviously required a special guy to take on a, a task like that when everyone's so programmed to ride two strikes, you know? Mm-hmm, right. So it was like just kind of a shootout, and if you wanted to ride it, here, here's your day and whatever, right? Yeah, yeah I don't recall all the exact details. There's more of a sense of uh, getting a sense of, do they really want to ride it? You know, are, they, are they fully committed? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Like you said, like with Doug, you know, you had to be there. You, it takes it takes more than just a, a normal deal, you know. Um, so at the end of O two, uh, and I only worked with you for a little bit. I started at the end of O two and worked O three um, before Jimmy Perry came in. So at the end of O two, Ed Scheidler, uh, the longtime uh, Yamaha uh, development guy. He's uh, retiring, and and do do they ask you right away? Or are you are you excited to do it? Do you apply for it? Uh, how do you get to be in the gig you are now? Um, well, the the uh, division manager of the testing, Mark Porter, mm-hmm. he I think he would have went to Keith and uh, showed some interest in in trying to get me to, over to the testing area to replace Ed. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, yeah, I think Keith said, "Well, if he's interested, you know." So. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, they would, they had mentioned it to me if I was interested in that, and obviously, that was that's the toughest decision I've ever had to. Yeah, in I was. My life. Okay. I didn't want to leave racing, especially you know I'd, I'd had my hands in getting Reedy to, to come over to to ride Yamaha, and yeah, and uh, all that was coming together, and and uh, but then on the other hand, there's. Ed Scheidler had been in that position for 20 or 30 years or something. So mm-hmm. for that position to become available again, probably not going to happen. Right, right. And I didn't want to go to the races my whole life. 
that I wanted to keep going to him for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. However, that opportunity so I ended up. I, I, uh, you know, I'm not sure how long I, I uh, took me to decide, but yeah. I, in the end, I decided to to make another change. So really, it really wasn't a case of you wanting to do it. Like, I mean, obviously you wanted to do it, but it wasn't like you wanted to get out of racing. It just, it came up, you had to think about it, and you went for it. But it wasn't like you were tired at all of, of the racing end of things. No, no. I think, think about it now. The reason I did it was I still really enjoyed riding. And I would go riding with Red Dog or Bull and all those guys. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that was uh, something we all did together, even on, on weekends off and whatnot. So, but never enough time to ride. Right. And I kept thinking, gosh, I'm going to be too old to ride. <laughs> and um, so if I, if I change over to testing now, I'll have an opportunity to to be involved with uh, the product. Mm-hmm. So I think that was one of the reasons yeah. that um, I had to go for that opportunity to, right. before I was too old to ride bikes. Right. I went for it. Uh, how was it managing the great Tim Ferry? One of my, well, obviously one of my good friends and talk about him a lot. But uh, how, how was how was he as a as a rider for you? Yeah, he, he is a great guy. A good Florida boy. Just uh, yeah, obviously a very hard worker. Mm-hmm. And um, perhaps not the most talented guy when you like you're putting up beside McGrath, for example. Right, right. But yeah, he could get the job done. And. Um, and go about it in a in a very classy way. Like you didn't have to you didn't have to babysit him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great guy. Yeah, I think he learned it when he was first at Suzuki, and he did all the wrong things. What not to do when he got a second chance at a factory ride. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but no, it, it, it was. Yeah, he's just a solid guy, as uh, as you well know. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then again, instead of McGrath, now you're chasing Carmichael around with him a lot for the couple summers, anyways. That's right. Um, did you? How much? Uh, Craig Dack brought you. Mentioned Chad bringing Chad over for Yamaha Troy in two thousand and two. Craig Dack came over. Um, did you? Would you? Did you have any idea that this guy from the GPS, you know, John Groot Cowies, would be as good as he was uh, immediately? I mean, he won every race, but one outdoors or indoors. I mean, outdoors he he only got beat by Bubba. And then, of course, in '03, when you were gone, you know he won races right away in the big class. But did you have any inkling that this fellow Aussie guy would would sort of, you know, take the take the sport by storm this fast? Yeah, I knew he was special. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've always been very close with Craig Dak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he believed in him, and um, yeah, obviously Dak has been around a long time. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of my opinion perhaps was generated from from my belief in, in Daki's opinion and then uh, Daki had been involved with with uh, with Reedy the whole time of his yeah. career in Australia. Right. But no, I didn't I knew he was special but I didn't expect him to to develop as quick as he did because he never went to any big amateur races. Right. He he uh, and you know, for a, a young kid to come to uh, to the US just that's, that's overwhelming in itself, mm-hmm. and um, and to never be exposed to those to the amount of people and and the size of the sport coming from Australia, yeah, he truly amazing how he overcame that with just just inner confidence like oh. nobody else. 
he had that chip, and he still does. He has this chip on his shoulder, and it it sometimes it's frustrating when you're on his team because he you know he really demands the best, and he demands everybody uh, really work hard for you know, and I think everybody everybody does, and but then you know he goes out and works and shows you you know, but I, yeah, you're absolutely right that that self confidence, that sort of chip on his shoulder, has really served him well. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is, yeah, he is one of the most mentally strong guys you probably ever find out there. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, go, rewinding a little bit, uh, Steve Steve Butler on the BTOSports.com Racer X podcast. Rewinding a little bit, how soon do you remember? Okay, so the 450 comes out, the 400 comes out in '97, and it's successful, and Doug wins the the national title the next year on the production bike, and Button wins races, Ferry wins races. How soon do you remember them saying, hey, we need to make a 250F? Do you remember when that was going on, or when was that decision made? It was very quickly after the the first one came. Oh, it was? I, okay. I put a year on it, but I would say 99 probably heard about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So not long after then. You're like, hey, this, is, this thing works so good. Let's build a 250F. Because <laughs> I recall we, uh, we set uh, one of our... 125 race bikes up to mm-hmm. do a comparison for the factory to, to do uh, to do some comparison with a full stroke 250. So, mm-hmm. um, so um, it was yeah, very quickly after the 400. Yeah, uh, interesting. Hey, d- to wrap this thing up, we don't have too much longer to go. But um, is Doug Dubach the best test rider ever? Is it possible there's a better test rider than Doug Dubach? Yeah, he's definitely. Yeah, got to be considered one of the best. And yeah, I'm having trouble finding a, a replacement for him. <laughs> so uh, that's an indication that he's still obviously very good at what he does. Yeah, and an enormous amount of experience for a guy that, you know, what he learned through racing. You know, the amount of testing a racing guy does. Yeah, yeah. And and his production testing, you know, he had such a so many years of experience. No one can match that. Mm-hmm. Was he a good tester when you worked for him way back then? Was he? Do you remember yeah. him being the same way? Yeah, yeah, very, very good, and and uh, just mechanically inclined. That's what makes a good tester too. That mm-hmm. They they understand and they have some engineering sense and mechanical sense of how things work. So then, when they feel something, they can have some definition of perhaps what's happening. Right. 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 And that's probably one of the most challenging things of, of testing is is a rider explaining a feeling. Because it's something you can't measure. It's not a dimension. It's yeah, not, yeah. You, know, it, you can't put it on a, uh, a dyno or whatever the case. Right. It's a feeling. And, to, and that's only a word. To explain that feeling, it's just a word from a rider. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Riders, you've got to be able to explain a feeling. Yeah, and Doug's always been able to do that. Yes, yeah, oh. I think it's uh, and to you know to explain, to give them some definition. You uh, you need some mechanical mechanical knowledge. Yeah. Um, and now you've picked up uh, Travis Preston. How's that working out? Yeah, actually, I've worked with him uh, as just uh, as a contractor for a while. We had him. Yeah. Helping us with testing, 
just recently I hired him as a, a full-fledged employee. So yeah. He's uh, three or four weeks in now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a huge help. Yeah. And, you know, obviously he loves bikes and he can ride bikes, so he's, he's an asset to us. Uh, can he help out with 250F testing or is he just too big? Is he just too big of a guy? Actually, we recently done a 250F test. So, um, okay. Yeah, actually, I made him uh, read every magazine article on uh, 250s. Yeah. So, uh, so it's not only his opinion of the bike; he can understand what, what, what. Interesting. All of the different riders have opinions on all of the bikes, so he can look, you know, not what's good for Travis Person, as what's good for a production bike, and what is the what does the market need? Right. So, uh, do you do you still get excited? I'm oh, sorry to interrupt you. Do you still get excited to do quads and? That kind of stuff, off-road stuff, uh, or is that? I mean, you're, you're a motocrosser guy, but how, how does that go for you? Are you okay with that? I mean, you yeah, actually recently uh, all of Yamaha RV group quads and side by sides have been moved to Georgia. Okay. So uh, Yamaha in, in uh, California is strictly motorcycle. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for me that's great. You know, recently I've been involved with uh, a lot of sport bikes. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I think as a motocross guy, you can kind of, if you can ride motocross, you can ride anything, mm-hmm. in a sense. So, uh, yeah, just to just to uh, continue to be involved with new things breaks up the monotony. Right. I yeah, guess it's so. It's easy to get sick of, uh, sick of one particular task. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I feel pretty fortunate at Yamaha. I get to work on you know, one week. It might be some sport bike and then perhaps an off-road bike. Or, right. And, you're, yeah, you're, from what I understand, you're still riding a ton, so that's good. It's good life that way. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, and actually a little bit of sport bike recently. Yamaha released a new R1, the most technology uh, advanced Yamaha in uh, in the history of Yamaha. Oh, okay. So um, that's been a pretty fun project. I'm going to give you an idea, Steve, but no one listens to this show, so you can just take this idea and just start printing money for Yamaha. All right? You ready? Yeah. Lower radiators, is that what I heard? <laughs> That's, I did pioneer that. I did pioneer that. Um, um, no, you got it. Yamaha, remember that Honda Cub? Do you remember the Honda Cub? It oh, was a plastic-looking scooter thing? Yes. Bring that back. Obviously, call it a Yamaha something else, Koala Bear. Bring it back. <laughs> Those were good. I like the koala bear. That could be a catchy name. See, yeah, exactly. Yamaha koala bear. Put all plastic on it. Make it electric. And uh, there you go. The ultimate fun kids, uh, low cost uh, pit bike slash. Uh, you know, they'll be in the pits everywhere. There we go. You're welcome. Bring How it much back. can a koala bear? <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> got it. You already got the slogan. <laughs> Never mind development. You already got the advertising slogan. Uh, uh, Steve Butler, hey, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. I love this walk down memory lane. Uh, the things you've done and accomplished coming from Australia is phenomenal. Uh, I've got one national win to my credit, and believe me, I, 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 I use it all the time with everybody. And you have, uh, uh, I don't even know, 20, 30 wins uh, with different riders, and now you're giving back to the sport and developing these uh, great bikes, the YZ2FDF, winning shootouts, and uh, – winning titles and everything else. Uh, man, you've had a great career. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, no worries, Steve. Was, uh, yeah, I don't usually like to talk about myself, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff amongst it. 
Yeah, I knew I had the pride out of you, but I knew you'd be great. So thank you, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah good stuff, man. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll see you at the races, man. Thank you. Okay. See ya. See ya. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. I was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pit and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and-